This episode of The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This Kindle book is brought to you by Dr. Damien Dauphiné, discussing specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic populations. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. Our podcast brings you into the world of podiatric foot and ankle medicine and surgery, discussing everything from common everyday complaints complex and unusual problems and their treatment options. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussain, fellowship-trained foot and ankle surgeon, and together we are the Pod Doctors. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows discussing the amazing foot and all the crazy ways it can malfunction and causes problems. Welcome to the Pod Doctors. My name is Dr. Damien Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein. Hello, hello. How are you guys? And we're here today to do episode number four. We're going to talk a little about ankle sprains and strains and some of the related injuries that can happen to your ankle with that type of injury. So without further ado, Dr. Hussein, let's, uh, let's get started. Yeah, ankle sprains and strains. Uh, primarily today, we're going to be talking about lateral ankle injuries. I mean, what's the difference between a sprain and a strain? A sprain, generally speaking, is primarily supposed to be ligamentous injuries. Your, your ligaments surrounding your ankle uh, get injured in some sort of way, and it causes some type of rupture, tear, attenuation, etc. Uh, a strain is primarily specific for your tendons, your muscles. Uh, your lateral ankle has a couple major muscle groups, uh, the pronius, tertius, brevis, and longus, uh, and they're commonly injured um, associated with any type of uh, lateral ankle injury, roll, uh, etc. The strains uh, versus your sprains, your sprains are far more common than your strains. Your, your sprains, uh, they estimate, occur seven times more likely, your ligament injuries are seven times more likely than your uh, tendons uh, and or fractures or uh, etc. when it comes to rolling your ankle or, or injuring your ankle. One third of the 30 million youth who play organized sports in the U.S. will sustain an ankle sprain. That's that's an amazing stat. And we, we really do see a lot of these in the office and stuff. They're one of the more common injuries that we see. Yeah. In 2007, the Injury Surveillance System, a 16-year study of data, showed that ankle sprains are the most common injury of all sports-related injuries. 14.9%, nearly 15% of all upper and lower extremity injuries are your ankle. That's I mean, an amazing stat. Yeah, I mean, look at your ACL injury. That's 2.6%. Concussions, 5%. Um, but ankle injuries, nearly 15%. In 2004, in the Olympic uh, Summer Games, 22% of all injuries were ankle sprains. And in 2002, uh, the Olympics uh, Winter Games, 25% of all injuries were foot and ankle related. I mean, that's a, that's a huge number. That's why we exist. <laughs> Keep us busy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what ligaments make up your ankle? You have your 
ATFL, your anterior talofibular ligament, your CFL, your calcaneal fibular ligament, and your PTFL, your posterior talofibular ligament. These are the three main ligaments that make up the side of the ankle and are commonly injured, your ATFL being the most common. The, the main purpose of your ATFL ligament is, is when you roll your ankle, when you roll that ankle and it, your foot turns in, that's that first ligament on that front side of your ankle, on the lateral front side, the anterior side, and that's being stretched. Uh, sometimes you'll even feel a pop if it's, if it's uh, rupturing or tearing or etc. Uh, your calcaneal fibular ligament is the second most common one that's injured. When your foot reaches that that um, that tilt, that that tendon, that rope-like ten, uh, tendon, excuse me, that ligament, uh, that rope-like ligament is stretched. Uh, you can get some tearing there. Your PTFL uh, far far less likely to get injured. It can get injured. Uh, it has been seen, but far less likely. And the nice thing about the way they name these is they're telling you the two bones that are being connected by that ligament because ligaments connect bone to bone, right? So the anterior talofibular ligament is connecting your talus to your fibula. Calcaneal fibular ligament connecting your calcaneus, which is your heel bone, to your fibula. So if you break it down, that's kind of the way those are, those are built so that you can tell which bones are being connected. Yeah, I mean, your ankle joint's a very important joint. Uh, they estimate that 1.5 times your body weight uh, comes down on each ankle joint when you're walking and eight times your body weight while you're running. So, I mean, you need a very stable ankle joint whenever you're walking, running, jumping, uh, doing whatever. They estimate that nearly 25,000 ankle sprains occur each day. Uh, is, that, is that a worldwide stat or is that just in the U.S.? That was actually uh, a U.S. stat. Okay. Curious. Um, fairly confident. We are really, really klutzy. Yeah. <laughs> so 30% of people use rest and ice and still have a pain one year later? Wow. Yeah, that's high. Yeah, that's high. So, I mean, I, I, I see that. We see that clinically. People come in eight, ten months down the line. They have a remote history of an ankle sprain, and they're still having pain, and they're wanting to know, you know, what's still wrong? What, what, what could still be wrong? Yeah, I rolled my ankle a year ago. I was, you know, uh, digging a ditch. I was riding a bike, mm -hmm. and I fell. And, yeah, I rolled my ankle a year ago. It hasn't gotten better. It got better a little bit, but it's not 100%. I still feel it when I'm running. I still feel it when I'm walking on uneven surfaces. I'm having trouble. Uh, what can we do? But we got to figure out what's injured first. I mean, sure. that's the most important thing. Your anterior, your ATFL, your anterior talofibular ligament is the most common ligament that's injured. The only downside to that is that it's the weakest of all three ligaments. Uh, it's small, it's thin, it's band-like. It comes across that front uh, lateral part of your ankle. And with any you know slight foot inversion, that, that turning in, rolling of your foot, that ligament can be easily injured. I mean, that can be from a stretch to micro tears to complete rupture. The second most common ligament that's injured in this group is your calcaneal fibula ligament. Now that ligament is very, very strong. It's rope-like. It's a robust ligament, but if you're putting your body weight on it and you're turning your ankle, I mean, it, it has to go somewhere. The physics are not with you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, the other common things that are injured with any type of ankle sprain or, or strain is the strain, you know, your tendons. You have peroneal tendons. The two most common tendons that are injured um, on the side of the ankle are your peroneus brevis and your peroneus longus. Your peroneus brevis and longus turn around that side of that fibula, that lateral malleolus. 
where it's turning and going towards the front of your foot. Now, the three most common areas that you'll feel the pain, the, the first most common is right where it's turning against that fibula, that fibular groove. It's turning, that ligament, can, that ligament, that tendon gets saddled, that pronus brevis is right up against that bone, and your pronus longus is coming in behind it. Now, that tendon ends up getting saddled and splitting. I like to tell my patients that it's sort of like you take string cheese and you smush it right down the center, and you get that split tear. That's exactly what it, it looks like when you get in there. Absolutely. The second most common site that is injured is that peroneal tubercle on that side of that calcaneus, that heel bone. It's a prominence that your retinaculum attaches to it's that separates those two tendons. But if that tubercle is being rowed up against very hard, if it's too large, if it's uh, abrasive, that pronus longus tendon will ride up against that, that groove, that, uh, that uh, prominence, and become angry and injured. It's almost like a uh, as if um, you're pulling a rope and it's catching a stone or a rock or a corner or something like that, and it's, it's abrading against it. The last common site that you'll feel that pain is at the base of the fifth metatarsal. That's where the pronus brevis inserts and the pronus longus turns down in that cuboid uh, groove. Uh, those are less common. You know, those are your insertional tendinopathies, but you know it's something to be aware of. They can be lingering. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, one of the most difficult things to get rid of, and and they usually require an extended a, a period of time with the mobilization and offloading. So they can be a frustrating component to an ankle sprain. Yeah, there's no there's no instant uh, cure for these type of problems. This has been a, a chronic problem before or a new to chronic problem uh, now. And uh, what we're trying to do is, is get something stable, something functional, something healed, and something that you're putting, you know, you know, eight times your body weight on when you're, you know, jogging, running, uh, etc. Types of tears uh, that we'll see in these uh, uh, tendons uh, can determine the uh, the repair, the the treatment. Uh, the common injury that we see with these type of tendons is the longitudinal tears. Those are the split tears. Um, those tendons will either get pressure from the opposing tendon in the bone, or will be clicking over that fibula or that groove, and you'll get some longitudinal tears. Uh, it doesn't have to be in a, in a acute rupture. It doesn't have to be, you know, just chopped down the middle and, and separate and, you know, sling black back like a like a rubber band, mm -hmm. you know. The other thing that we'll, we'll see is, is the subluxation with those tendons. Those tendons will uh, click around that fibula, like I said before, and that's that clicking, uh, popping sensation that some patients will feel. Snapping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uncomfortable. Super uncomfortable. I mean, and, and that's literally the tendons dislocating. Yeah. And when you're sitting there and you stress the patient with it. You can watch it go yeah, it's a very, very uneasy thing to look at. So signs and symptoms, um, what typically uh, we see in clinic. If it's a new injury, we'll see, you know, swelling, redness, bruising, obviously tenderness. But we need to determine if it's purely ligamentous, if there's some tendon involvement, or, you know, once we get into it even further, if there's some nerve involvement. So your anterior draw test is that first test. Uh, I like to compare it to the, your ACL test. Um, you hold that knee and you pop that fibula, fibula that tibia uh, forward, and that ACL, if, if it's torn, you'll get that gapping. Same thing we do with the, the ankle. The ankle, uh, you'll hold that, that front of the ankle down, and you'll pop that heel forward towards the toes. And if it's torn, you'll see that gapping. Uh, very, very uh, painful test if it's a new injury, and if it's an old injury, it's, it's one of those things that you can... Uh, if the swelling is down, that you'll see that uh, pocketing 
on that um that uh, uh oh, the sun's torso yeah, yeah exactly so you got a good video here it looks like oh yeah this uh, uh therapist shows it real good the second way of doing this test uh, he shows it um is when you put that heel down against that bed or your base or your chair and you push the front of the ankle back towards their you know their um, um bottom their the back of that chair that ankle uh, will click in and out of that that joint same general motion two different ways of doing the test the second test that we'll check is your Taylor tilt test we'll go through uh, and, and stress that calcaneofibular ligament now your CFL ligament uh, because uh, if your ATFL is gone your CFL is the second most common thing to be uh, injured what we're doing is we're literally stretching that fibula against that calcaneus and turning it all the way in so we're stretching that ligament if it's torn or ruptured or uh, attenuated we can determine that and this one is more user dependent uh, this is what we try to uh, stress the opposite side for and if we can get a you know an x-ray view or, or a stress test uh, under you know imaging but i mean what happens when both sides are injured right yeah or if they have ligamentous laxity it can be it can be a challenge yeah <laughs> the last test that we do is your syndesmotic ligament test. So your syndesmosis is the ligament structure between your tibia and your fibula. So the high ankle sprain. Yeah, your so high ankle sprain. torn. So yeah, that's... Uh, Who just had Jimmy that Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Yeah, the San Francisco 49er quarterback has a high ankle sprain that he's playing with. So, But it's very common injury, gets missed very commonly. Yeah, they estimate that nearly 10 to 20% of all ankle injuries have a, a proponent of syndesmotic injury. I believe it. So what we do uh, during our exam, quick and easy, uh, we do the squeeze test is the first test we'll check for because uh, the squeeze test doesn't stress any of the other ligaments or uh, tendons. Uh, we're literally squeezing the outside of your ankle inward. We're sandwiching that ligament that goes between your fibula and your tibia uh, and you're, you're squeezing an injured ligament. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be painful. The other test that we do is your external rotation test. Bend that knee, take that ankle, and you rotate that foot outwards towards your fifth toe that that talus inside that mortise will stress that joint and twist it out i mean you're you're doing uh you're doing the traction against that ligament so Um, pulling the two bones apart yeah extremely painful and your patients will let you know no fun (laughs) the last test that uh that you can also do this is something i do uh for a chronic injury so uh, to determine if it's healing up well uh, you'll do that thumb test where you put that heel against the ground, you bend their knee, you either thump the top of their, their knee, pressing pressure against that talus, that mortise, against the ankle ligament, or uh, kind of have them jump up, you know, 15 times in place and let me know if they're, they're you know, getting some pain, some tenderness uh, from that ankle joint getting compressed every time they're coming down on it. So if the syndesmosis is healing... They're going to be able to tolerate that much better. Yeah, right. yeah, and they'll have like a before and after test. You know, a couple of weeks after that injury, bracing has been doing me well. I wasn't able to jump or you know walk. I can jump up and down now fifteen times without any pain. I was only able to jump you know once or twice before without it causing me pain. Right. Uh, the last test that we'll, we'll we check for is to evaluate the tendons. Um, aside from just generally palpating the tendons, we also want to check if they're subluxing or clicking in and out of that fibular groove. You can see this you know, in, in in like real life, real time. I'll have the patients put their hands against it if they can't see it. And you'll feel that that tendon is literally clicking in and out of that groove. It's a very uneasy feeling and a sight to see. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, pretty easy to to determine if there's if their tendons are subluxing. So treatment, um, padding, strapping, um, braces, boots depends on the extent of injury. If if it's a very mild injury, we'll talk about just doing some mild bracing. Uh, if it's an extensive injury, I'll throw them into a walking boot. The only downside of any type of tendon muscle type of injury is that it takes forever. I tell patients this all the time. It's a general statement. I mean, uh, it could be argued back and forth, but skin takes two to three weeks to heal. Bones take six to eight weeks to heal. Tendons, muscles, ligaments take three to four months to heal. And nerves were taken years. It's just uh, the nature of the beast. This episode of The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Texas Podiatric Medical Foundation. The Texas Podiatric Medical Foundation is a charitable 501-3C organization that supports residency training of podiatric residents in Texas and provides access to care for underserved populations in the United States and Mexico. If you wish to donate to the Texas Podiatric Medical Foundation, please go to our website, www.thepoddoctors.com, and donate. Thank you. The other modality, once we get them back up and moving again, is physical therapy. Uh, we can do you know, range of motion exercises, proprioception exercises, strengthening exercises, uh, ultrasound therapy, MLS laser therapy. Uh, there's a whole array of things to do. I mean, I know that you're big onto the proprioception. Yes, I think that's a big part of my post-injury protocol uh, is to reinstitute the ability of stretch receptors in these ligaments to send signal back to your brain. So we have stretch receptors in all these ligaments that tell us where our joints are in space. And when that whole process doesn't work, when a ligament's torn, you lose that proprioceptive ability. So you're easily going to re-injure that whole area. You can turn your ankle again and again and again, purely because your proprioception isn't working. Those stretch receptors aren't telling your brain where your foot is in space. So that can be learned again, and that can be done through specific techniques that the physical therapists use. One is the BAPS board. Oh, yeah. So it's a your board, balance board. Your balance board with a ball in the middle, and it's you're very unsteady at first, and eventually you get to a point where you can you can remain still. And that's all because you can adjust, micro-adjust, because of the stretch receptors providing that data to your brain. That's one of the most powerful ways to prevent recurrence in someone who's had a pretty significant ankle injury. Yeah, um, what we're talking about is your ligaments are now injured or weak or attenuated or stretched. They're scarred back in, but obviously they're not as snug as they used to be. Even if you use that brace, it's it's not going to make it 100%. It's going to make it much better than not using any type of brace and letting that ligament scar back in nice and short. But what we're trying to do is let those tendons work more aggressively, work an adjunct to help make sure that you're not re-injuring. You're not getting that chronic lateral ankle instability that you see so often. And there's a fine line between immobilization and active or passive range of motion. And I think we want immobilization, but we still want the the ability to do some active and passive range of motion so that these ankles don't get stiff. There is something to be said for that. So I think over the years, the literature is kind of focused on, on shorter periods of time being immobilized and trying to get people walking in in lace-up braces sooner than later. Yeah. And I think for the average uh, weekend warrior who injures their ankle, that's probably the right thing to do. Yeah. For those folks who are professional athletes and have access to trainers and, and the, the latest and greatest stuff 
they're going to get everything from hyperbaric oxygen treatments to you know laser treatments, stem cell uh, therapy, stem cell therapy, all the stuff that these guys have access to that that the, most of us don't, and so you know they they can get back to their sport sooner. The average patient needs to be prepared to to have a pretty significant uh, uh, recuperation period. And that's hard, especially when you're an athlete and you're in the middle of a sports season. But these are injuries that can plague you, like hamstring injuries. You, know, you just keep re-injuring it and you're out for a longer period of time. So I think it's really important to understand the amount of time that it's going to take for your body to heal this, even in the even in the perfect situation. Yeah. Uh, when all this fails, you know, when we're talking about your conservative options, the last option is to go in and fix it surgically. Uh, as far as surgery goes, we're talking about going in and directly repairing that ligamentous structure and then some. Uh, the ligamentous structure has been injured. There's some tears. There's some scarring. It's obviously not functioning as good as it used to. When I go in, my logic is I'm never trying to go back in and again. Uh, we go in, we use some type of, uh, well, I use fiber wire and fiber tape type of things that I'll... So you're augmenting the ligament. Yeah, exactly. The, the native tissue is not usually going to be strong enough, even when you augment it with native tissue from next door, which is kind of one of the... Uh, alternative versions of the brostrum. I, I agree with you. I think the recurrence rate seems to be far less when you augment. Yeah, yeah, because now we're using something that has minimal give. It's inert, so your body is not going to ever realize it's there. And it's, you know, it's 10 times stronger. It's like, it's literally like fiber. It's um, like stainless steel, you know, except it's braided to feel like uh, cotton. It's, it's amazing. And that's going to provide you almost instantaneous stability. So yeah. patients can get into range of motion exercises sooner, uh, avoid the arthrofibrosis or the stiffening in the ankle joint that can cause problems down the line. So, yeah, I think that's a, a big, great way to go. Yeah. Now, when we're talking about tendon problems, uh, I wish we can use fiber wire to replace tendons, but it's not that not that fancy just yet. But what happens is when that tendon gets injured, uh, it ends up getting scar tissue. It's clicking over that bell nerve or it's riding hard against any type of, uh, of prominence. You get scar tissue inside that tendon. I mean, if, you, if you're if you watching the, the lecture, you can see how it's riding against that fibula. It gets that split tear. And the next picture is the, the denuding or debriding uh, of that um, scar tissue, that, that unhealthy tissue. When you get in there, Tendons should look shiny, bright white, linear long lines. Uh, and if it looks yellow or opaque or, or I mean, it's Sometimes easy to you have, you know, um, blood collection yeah. in the middle of the tendon. Granulomas. Relatively acute injury. This is a great series of diagrams uh, or, or illustrations, I should say, showing exactly what you were talking about, that saddle effect where the perineus tendon can, can become split longitudinally by riding that sort of bony point at the end of the fibula and then showing the debridement where you're picking that tissue out and then intubulating the tendon again and creating a new tube essentially is what you're trying to accomplish um, and then augmenting that from there usually we're wrapping the tendon with some other other material sometimes umbilical cord yeah uh, to encourage healing provide growth factors yeah it, it works great it, I, I say this all the time it's probably my most satisfying surgery before and after you go in, it looks like, you know, like smushed string cheese, and you come out and it looks pristine. It looks textbook. It looks uh, like, you know, a fancy new, you know, French bracelet, you know. It looks great. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, what happens if the, the reason that it's clicking in and out is that the groove is too shallow, or worse, if it's if it's convex? Well, so some people just have that inherently. That's just the way they were built. Their fibula, their fibula groove is just too shallow. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a genetic problem. Thanks, right. Mom and Dad. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so what we do is we try to deepen the groove. And there's a whole way of determining which one uh, or technique you want to use. My preferred technique is the one where you lift up the, the articular surface. Uh, now you're saving that smooth side for the tendons. You go in behind it to breed out any of that, that excess bone there. And then you impact it in. So now you have a nice deep groove. Uh, without ruining any type of um, surface uh, or any type of um, contact area for that tendon. Uh, but there's a whole array of, of different techniques to do. This is just my preferred technique. And you got a nice descri- a nice description uh, illustrated here showing that technique, which is terrific. Yeah, and you can see that next to that groove is your retinaculum. The retinaculum, its purpose is to hold those tendons from clicking in and out around that fibula. Sometimes what ends up happening is that the groove is fine due to some type of injury that retinaculum gets stretched out and it will allow those tendons to pocket between the retinaculum and that bone now. And that's when sometimes you'll feel that clicking even though the patient has a nice good groove. So we go in and repair that retinaculum. Sometimes we'll use some type of adjunct, you know, like the, the fiber wires, tapes and sutures and whatever. And our goal is to make it so that it's flush against that bone and that retinaculum. So when it's coming off, it's nice and smooth. It's not on the inside. It's not on the outside. We're making sure that 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 uh, that tendon structure stays in that groove as long as there's a groove there. Doesn't click around that bone. Super simple. Super effective. It works great. Nerve injuries. I mean, very common things to see after these type of tra- sprained ankles or rolled injuries. Well, yeah, and those folks are going to usually present complaining six eight months down the line of burning, tingling, maybe some numbness. And the distribution is is kind of shown here in, in uh, slides here from a common fibular lecture here. So this this slide here is showing uh, a uh, diagrammatic representation on the leg itself of the distribution of the common fibular nerve. So the common fibular nerve is made up of uh, nerve branches coming out of your lumbar fourth and fifth and your sacral first and second disc spaces. And so those nerves are creating this nerve that comes and wraps around the fibula and innervates the front of the leg, the side of the leg, and the top of the foot. So if you have pain in that distribution that is nerve-related, it is going to be burning, tingling, shooting, stabbing, sometimes hot poker type pain. Numbness, paresthesias. Paresthesias are like ants walking on your skin. Right. And, And when patients complain of that type of pain, Several weeks or months after an ankle injury, what they may have sustained is called a traction injury, where the nerve gets stretched. Nerves do not like to get stretched. They don't like to go around bends. They don't like to weave in and out. So they like straight line flow. And when the nerve gets stretched, it can scar in poorly. It can create something called a neuroma and continuity, where the, where the nerve is scarred in and it's, it's blocking conduction. And that block of conduction can lead to some of the symptoms that we just described. So a very common missed issue that happens later down the line after an ankle injury. Yeah, I mean, patients are talking about pain on the top of their foot, and you have to kind of dig and dig and find out that, look, this is a nerve problem. You know, you're having that tingling, burning sensation. It's probably coming from, you know, your lateral ankle or your common peroneal nerve, your common femoral nerve, or up around the side of the knee. It's not just isolated to the top of that foot. Right, and that, and that's sometimes a jump in their minds, and you got to kind of lead them down that path. That hey, this could be this could be what you're complaining of. It's also possible that people can have an entrapment at that of that nerve at the side of the calf just inherently it could just yeah. simply be an anatomy problem. 
But if you're relating it to a recent ankle injury, that that you, know, you really need to keep that in your differential diagnosis. Do you do diagnostic blocks when it comes to these? It can be very helpful. Yeah, you can block the superficial fibular nerve. You can block the common itself and cause numbness and then have them go through a range of motion, see if they can do activities that they couldn't do before. Uh, often you get a better exam of their ankle ligamentous structures and see if they do have instability or, or not. And if they don't, and their, their initial complaints are still more nerve-related, then you really need to focus on the nerve. And it's really a clinical diagnosis. There's no magic test. You could get a nerve conduction study and an electromyogram. That's usually what we'll order. But that's really to help rule out a component from the lumbar spine that might be involved. It's very difficult to isolate the common fibular nerve and find that there's conductivity problems at that site unless it's very advanced. Yeah, I tell my patients the EEG and NCV studies, uh, those are confirmation studies. They're not uh, there to figure out something new. Those are there to confirm what I already suspect. Right, and, and they're much more helpful at ruling out a lumbar component than they are finding pathology at the local site. Yeah. Not that you can't, and, and that's why we order them. It, uh, I've still seen it. But it's sometimes frustrating for patients when you send them out for that test and it comes back and the, the doctor says, the, the, either the neurologist or the physical medicine rehab doc, whoever's doing the nerve conduction study, tells the patient, well, that you, your study was normal. And the patient's like, I have all these symptoms. How can it possibly be normal? It's not, he's not telling you that you don't have pathology. He's telling you that his test couldn't find it. Yeah. And that there's a big difference between the two. Um, very much like an x-ray not showing a stress fracture initially, but four weeks later, it'll show up. It doesn't mean the x-ray is a bad test. It just means it has limits. Yeah. So the nerve conduction study and electromyogram are valuable, but they do have limits. And oftentimes, they're not going to show pathology until you're pretty far down the line. Yeah. So we don't use them in that regard. We don't use them to, de to determine who would benefit from surgery. We don't use them to determine uh, who has uh, local pathology very, very commonly. Yeah. The, some of the things that can predispose you to having traction injuries would be diabetes, hypothyroidism. Those folks have a metabolic problem with the nerve, and that can predispose them to having lingering nerve injuries. Something that might cause a nerve injury initially and then have the nerve recover just doesn't recover as well. Yeah. And it has a lot to do with the biochemistry of what's going on in the nerve. Um, people who are habitual leg crossers may be compressing that nerve as well, and they may be more, more susceptible to uh, a traction injury um, after an ankle sprain. At rapid weight loss, people who've had uh, bariatric surgery and have lost you know, hundreds of pounds, they lose that fat layer around the nerve, and that, that's protecting the nerve. That can contribute to an easier traction injury after an ankle sprain as well. Yeah, I come and see them after knee replacements. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, go yeah. in, the scar tissue builds up around them. It's not like, you know, obviously the, your knee surgeon isn't doing it on purpose, but it, it's it's so close by that it's at risk for being injured. Again, it's a traction injury. They're, they're pulling that incision open, yeah. and as they're doing that, oftentimes they can irritate the common fibula nerve. So... Yeah, it's it's a it's a real problem. It happens, and it typically resolves on its own. Neuropraxia would be the term for yeah. a nerve injury that causes paresthesias, burning, tingling, shooting pain, maybe some numbness, but it gets better in a reasonable amount of time, which is two to three months. Yeah. Uh, if it's beyond that, and you're talking five, six, seven months down the line, well, you really need to investigate that because you may be you may be losing an opportunity to turn that nerve around. 
So it is important to check those. Yeah, I mean, cast boots. I mean, we're putting patients into boots and, and things whenever they roll their ankles. The nerve coming around the uh, fibula, the common prona nerve, uh, that boot sits right up against there. Right. It can be a source of compression all by itself. So sometimes the treatment is causing a new problem. Yeah. So that, that's a good good point. There is something called the provocative sign. We can tap over that nerve at the side of the calf. We can manipulate it just by putting a little pressure on it. And usually when it's really irritated, inflamed, and trapped, patients are going oh, to get zingers down to the top of the foot, down to the, the toes, down the leg. So, uh, you know, that's a common sign that we use. It's called yeah. the positive provocative sign. You're provoking Tenels. the nerve. Uh, that's not that when you're tapping the nerve, that's really would be traditional tenels. When you're, when you're manipulating the nerve or you're pushing on it, that's really more of a provocative sign, just yeah. subtly different, but still providing you with information to tell you that that nerve's not happy. So that's something that can be corrected by, by decompressing the nerve. We can physically through surgery, decompress the nerve, give it more room, just like carpal tunnel. Yeah. Uh, carpal tunnel surgeries. That's the same, the same uh, idea, the same theory is that you're just giving the nerve more room. Yeah. Go in, free up the nerve, uh, release that retinaculum, remove any scar mm-hmm. tissue and let that nerve sit happy and, and, and next to muscle and fat. And we've got some, some surgical pictures showing decompressing that nerve, which is, you know, a quick surgery it takes about 30 minutes in the outbrain room and, and it can relieve those symptoms entirely. Yeah. Walking out same day, small dressing, simple stitches, no bony recovery, no no tendon repair, and that's to determine if it's all nerve problems. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, you see this where patients are being worked up for a lateral ankle stabilization procedure, and what they really have is a nerve injury. It gets missed. And so if, if you're going to treat somebody for lingering pain due to an ankle sprain, you need to keep that in mind that you, you need to separate those two out. So if you can do that nerve block, eliminate their pain, and then truly examine examine their lateral ankle structures, if those ligaments are intact and they don't have instability, then you're barking down the wrong tree. You you don't want to be doing that that ligamentous repair when that's not really what the patient needs. What they really need is is to have the nerve addressed. And burning, tingling, shooting pain is very specifically neuritic or nerve-related pain. So if that's what you're complaining of after an ankle sprain, you really need to find somebody who has expertise in peripheral nerve surgery. Yeah, those are the patients that come in. X-rays and MRIs are clean. Right. Everything looks great. Everything looks, you know. Um, but I'm still in pain. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Simple nerve release, very successful. I mean, you know this better than most. Yeah, it's a great, great procedure and, and very helpful for folks. And it's a, usually a one-time fix. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Hussein. Uh, we want to remind you to like us and subscribe uh, anywhere where you get your podcasts. You should be able to find us. If you go to our website, thepoddoctors.com, you can see the list of upcoming episodes that we have coming out. And you'll also be able to go to the GoFundMe for the Texas Podiatric Medical Foundation. Our Texas Podiatric Medical Foundation helps support our medical mission project called the Los Niños de la Frontera project in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. And the Texas Podiatric Medical Foundation has been involved in treating patients who don't have access to care in rural parts of Mexico for about 15 years, initially in Reynosa. And then that mission was converted to San Miguel de Allende in Guanajuato, Mexico 
And we go down once a year. Last time we were down in 2019 because COVID knocked out our 2020 visit. But in 2019, we saw 600 patients and did over 50 surgeries in about four days. And it's just some of the most gratifying work you can do. Treating patients from the ranchos all around San Miguel who will travel hours, four or five hours to come see us. Yeah, we're blessed to be in a first world country. I mean, uh, those less fortunate, that's what we're here to help. Yeah, and, and these folks are just so incredible. They're so appreciative and, and fantastic people. And we've established a good relationship with the general hospital there in San Miguel, and we are official with the government of Mexico. They understand what we do, and they appreciate everything we do. Um, so if you get a chance, go to the website, uh, support us with the GoFundMe project to help support the mission project. We would greatly appreciate that. We are providing this content for free right now. We, we want to educate patients, and we think it's important. There's nothing better than a well-educated patient that comes in and understands what's going on and, and can appreciate what, what, what they're dealing with and the possible treatments for what they're dealing with. So we think this is important work. Please, again, like us and subscribe, and we'll see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Take care. Be safe. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, and be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.